Well, good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation. And we have a lot to go over today. I'm going to try to get in as much as I can. There is just a we we have I think we need to start with the Devin Archer stuff today. Uh so Devin Archer did speak before uh, House subcommittee today. And and what we've learned is basically the acknowledgement that, yes, Hunter Biden did put his dad on the phone with business partners. Now, Democrats are trying to minimize it by saying, uh, well, they were just talking about the weather and, and, and other niceties like that. But it, it's it's getting pretty clear that there is a there there. Now, I, I mentioned last week that the thing about all the impeachment and every all that talk that's going on right now is that you need a silver bullet. You absolutely do want to get every Democrat on the record. I have a, I have a friend, uh, I have a friend in politics. He's, he's a commentator. And he said very famously, uh, toward the end of the Trump administration, that Democrats were going to have to come to terms with the fact that they were going to have their own Donald Trump. And lo and behold, as much as they've said about Donald Trump and his family, there's a lot. There's a lot of smoke in the room. And I, I keep using that because the the Republicans, very clearly there's a fire. They're very clearly there is something there. But they haven't found what started the fire. They haven't found every last thing they need in order to make something like impeachment work. Now, there is enough out there that you can t- continue to flood the zone and maybe that would depress the Democrat vote. In fact, there is some news out today that I want to get to in a little while about the Democrats worry that one of their biggest voting blocks is just not going to show up in 2024. But Devin Archer sat down for a transcribed interview with members of the House Oversight Committee and Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan on Monday. Now, during that interview... Representative Dan Goldman of New York, a Democrat, uh, told reporters on a break uh, while the committee was on break that, uh, yes, Hunter Biden did frequently place his father, then Vice President Joe Biden, on the speakerphone while meeting with business associates. But it was all it was the talking about. It was niceties. They weren't discussing business or anything like that. What's going on here? is that Devin Ar- the Democrats really didn't want Devin Archer to testify. The Bidens didn't really want Devin Archer to testify. In fact, this is from Andrew McCarthy at National Review. In a Saturday letter to the court, the Southern District of New York prosecutors did not try to prevent Archer's appearance at today's Behind Closed Doors Committee hearing. But 
An innocent interpretation of the prosecutor's letter is also possible and was indeed posited by a follow-up letter on Sunday. On that score, we should bear in mind, though the SDNY prosecuted Archer. I'm sorry, I just lost my place. Uh, It is not involved in the Hunter Biden investigation. The Southern District of New York told Archer, basically said to the courts, told Archer, you're going to prison no matter what. And it seemed to come across as kind of a threat to Archer. Like, no matter whatever you're doing right now, it's not going to help you. You're going to prison. Might not even, you might as well not even bother. That's the interpretation that's being seen behind this. What's going on right now, like I said, is that the Democrats and the Bidens don't want Archer to testify. They don't want Archer speaking up. Hunter Biden is a serious liability for Joe Biden. I don't know if you caught this, but over the weekend, Joe Biden, he acknowledged the seventh grandchild. He acknowledged uh, Navy, Hunter's illegitimate child, through through the brief relationship he had with Navy's mother. He only did that because of a a wave of public pressure and a bunch of polling that, that showed the American people wanted Joe Biden to acknowledge that as a grant, to acknowledge Navy as a grandchild. He wasn't going to. The the White House, the Bidens, they were doubling and tripling and quadrupling down that they had six grandchildren. They were not acknowledging young Navy as a grandchild. And it wasn't until a mass of public outcry over that, and there was... There was a lot of polling done. There was a lot of feedback that the White House was getting, and not just from Republicans. Hunter Biden is a serious liability for his dad. Politically speaking, the Bidens don't really care about Navy. They really don't care about Devin Archer. They really don't think that Hunter Biden did anything wrong. They believe, dare I say it, that this is a witch hunt. And they are looking at the political ramifications of this, and it's not pretty. Devin Archer, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to me that the media has been doing everything it can to try to walk back the seriousness of this. My uh, colleague and really my boss at Red State, Jennifer Van Lahr, uh, wrote this earlier today at Red State. It's now exceedingly clear that there are three core arguments the Democrats will use to deflect from any true investigation into allegations of corruption and undisclosed relationships with foreign governments by Hunter Biden. One, leave him alone. He's a private citizen. Two, Bo Biden. Three, he had a drug problem after losing his brother and needs support. It's a 
abundantly clear. This is from this is from that Democrat from New York, Dan Goldman. It was abundantly clear that there was no evidence in his possession or his knowledge that Joe Biden ever discussed business with Hunter Biden. Joe Biden ever did anything on behalf of Hunter Biden's business interests or otherwise, never changed official policy in any way, shape or form. And in fact, the only evidence we have is to the contrary was that even though it was perceived by Burisma that they had the prosecutor under control, that Joe Biden advocated for his firing, which we, of course, which, of course, was not coveted or desired by Burisma and potentially would be bad for Burisma. Notice how the language is, it's very slippery language, and it's changed over time. Joe Biden doesn't know anything about this. Well, Joe Biden didn't take part in any of this. Well, Joe Biden was just exchanging niceties with the people that Hunter was talking to. The goalposts keep moving. And they keep moving because the Democrats do, in fact, have their own version of what they portrayed Donald Trump as being. A corrupt family that skirted the law for its own private enrichment and advancement. Joe Biden's son, Hunter, used his father's name and access and influence to enrich himself and it benefited the rest of the family. That's pretty clear based on what we know publicly. The question, and this goes back to the impeachment talk, is how much did Joe Biden actually participate in this? That's the stuff that you can't prove yet. Archer's testimony today suggests that Joe Biden was way more involved than was originally let on. It's not a silver bullet, but you're getting closer to finding one. And the Democrats are once again moving the goalpost because they know Hunter Biden is a political liability. And they know that 2024 is fast approaching. And they know that their own base is not happy with them right now. I'm going to take this break and I get to that part next because this all ties in. It's all political. We can talk about the legalities and the justice system, two-tier justice system and everything like that. But at the end of the day, this is political for the Democrats. And here's why they're worried. If you're looking for more great conservative content throughout the day, why don't you head on over to my site, redstate.com. I'm a senior editor over there and I work with a lot of great conservatives putting out a lot of great news and opinion each and every day. Plus, if you use my name, Joe, as the promo code, you can subscribe with a discount to our VIP section where you'll get a ton more great content that you won't find anywhere else. Check out redstate.com today. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation. Here's, uh-oh, that's not good. Anyway, sorry about that. A little technical glitch there. Those have been happening a lot. We apologize. Uh, that one actually was user error. I'll, I'll be honest on that one. Um, so anyway, there's a reason that all the Hunter Biden stuff is actually making the Democrats chew their nails. They, they are really, really nervous. 
Democrats are worried about a potential drop in next year in turnout among black voters. The party's most loyal constituency who played a consequential role in delivering the White House to President Biden in 2020 and will be crucial for his bid for reelection. Their concern stems from a 10 percentage point decline in black voter turnout last year's midterm compared with 2018. It was a bigger drop than among any other racial or ethnic group, according to a Washington Post analysis of the Census Bureau's turnout survey. Such warning signals were initially papered over by other Democratic successes in 2022, particularly when the party picked up a U.S. Senate seat in Pennsylvania. Raphael Warnock won re-election in Georgia and anticipated losses in House seats were minimal. But key states like Georgia, the center of the Democrats' plans to mobilize black voters in large margins for Biden in 2024, turnout in last year's midterms was much lower among younger and male black voters, according to internal party analysis. On top of that, there's a lot of polling out there suggesting that voters are not looking forward to a Biden-Trump rematch. If that rematch happens, there's going to be a lot fewer voters showing up, not more, fewer. That would probably affect the Democrats more than the Republicans. The Republicans are motivated to get out there and replace Joe Biden. Yeah, a lot of them may not be happy about Trump being the nominee. But if it comes down to getting the White House back, they will still move out in whatever numbers they need to in order to elect Donald Trump. The flip side of that is Democrats are very depressed, particularly black voters. They're politically depressed. They don't want to go out and vote and all this stuff again. They may stay home. They're not happy with the way the Biden administration has handled the country, handled the economy, has handled a lot of its agenda. They may just stay home. So if the black turnout is lower in 2024 than it was in 2020, If Democrat voter turnout is lower overall, then the Democrats have a real problem on their hands. They have to try to salvage the black vote in 2024. They have to, and they're going to, they're going to play the race card a whole lot. They're going to try to double down on the woke social justice stuff when it comes to racism, things like that. They've got to double down on all that. They've got to talk more about that to try to rally black voters across the country, particularly, again, in Georgia, in South Carolina, and in other key swing states. The Democrats are worried. It's still the economy, stupid, as James Carville might say. And right now, Biden has decided to double down on the economic stuff. He's decided to double down on Bidenomics. He's decided to try to paint what's happening with the economy as a good thing. The problem is voters don't believe him. Voters are still very pessimistic about the economy. They're still very pessimistic about the direction of the country. And no amount of Joe Biden adopting Bidenomics the way Obama adopted Obamacare is really going to make it seem any better. The economy may be better, but it doesn't seem that way. And there are plenty of things happening within the economic numbers that clearly show things are not better. 
like wage growth, like certain commodities still being super high in cost. It's all a problem for the Democrats. 232-1542 is the number. We're going to take a break. When we come back, a pivot and some polling in Republican presidential politics. Have that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5, KPL. Hey, this is Joe Cunningham, and you're listening to the podcast version of my daily radio show. Now, if you want to listen live, all you need to do is download the KPL News app to your phone. You can listen live every weekday from 3 to 4 p.m. and communicate with the show using the app's chat feature. So go over to your app store, download the KPL News app, and listen to my show every day from 3 to 4 p.m. Central Time on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation. Or, like Billy, you can send a message through the KPL app chat. Billy reaches out, uh, says, I guess the, the money just magically appeared in Joe's and Hunter's uh, bank accounts. That's, that's kind of how the Democrats, I guess, want to treat it. But it would be very interesting uh, to see if that actually plays out or what the Democrats uh would be able to pull off. Now, Mike from Brobridge also reaches out about what I was talking about in the last segment, which is black voter turnout. Uh, didn't Trump get a record percentage of the black vote for a Republican? You're right. You're absolutely right, Mike. Trump got a higher percentage of the black vote than any Republican did beforehand. And in fact, that's what's missing from the Washington Post analysis, although it's been in other analyses that black voters particularly younger male black voters are drifting Republican. They're not just staying home, although a lot of them are, but some of them are drifting to the Republican Party because they are looking for something that they saw during the Trump years, which was a great economic situation for black workers in the country. There was record low unemployment. There was great uh, there, there were great job prospects, great wages and everything like that. And you don't see that as much now. Americans, even if some of the numbers indicate that things are going just as well, what's hidden in the numbers is the number of second jobs, the fact that wages really aren't outpacing inflation, and some other issues that are making American voters very worried. So that leads us to where we are with... Uh, Ron DeSantis. As I mentioned, Ron DeSantis did uh, did start his pivot. And he's switching to the economic. We knew this was coming. This has been hinted at for a while, but now it's official. DeSantis is making the pivot to the economy. Our decline is a choice at the end of the day. Uh, We will make that choice over the next 18 months with our presidential election, but also in other things that we do as Americans. Success for this country is attainable. Freedom that we've been bequeathed by prior generations is worth fighting for. And we have everything we need to be successful. We have the people. We have the natural resources. We have the ingenuity. And no matter how bad things get, we will always have that can-do American spirit. You can never kill it. It's always there. We just have to bring it to the, to, to the surface. And we need the will to force Washington, D.C. to once again work 
for the American people. And my promise is this. As president, I'm not going to sit there like a wallflower. I am going to fight for our people. I am going to fight for our families. I am going to fight for our future. And I am going to fight for our way of life. I will never back down. I will stand my ground. We will take back control of our national destiny. And we will ensure that this country enjoys a new birth of freedom. All right. So Ron DeSantis is making that economic shift. It looks like the campaign is ready to move away from the woke stuff. Now, this comes on the same day as a New York Times Siena College poll that came out that shows Trump still a heavy favorite overall in the nation. But that doesn't mean he's inevitable. And we need to talk about a little bit of that. Donald Trump, if the election were held today, Donald Trump wins the Republican primary. That's based on polling averages. That's based on the poll that's come out today. That's even what you're going to see in the early, uh, the early voting primary states, starting in January with Iowa. The New York Times poll that's out today has some interesting breakdowns that that other candidates are undoubtedly paying attention to. No other candidate in this poll is above 3%. Again, national poll. Please keep that as important to remember. National poll. 14% of Republicans remain undecided. Trump has 54% in the poll. DeSantis is at 17%. That's roughly where they are in the polling average. Trump is at 54 in the polling average. DeSantis is averaging 18.4%. This poll has him at 17%. DeSantis has been on a fairly steady decline since April with a couple bumps here or there. Trump has had a big rise in April and has kind of hovered above the 50% mark. But it's the state-level numbers that you do need to pay attention to. This poll is interesting because it breaks down by region. Trump's weakest numbers in this poll by region are actually the South, where he's at 50%. DeSantis is at 22%. More interestingly, in the Midwest, he's at 52%. DeSantis has one of his lowest numbers. And other candidates are doing a lot better in the Midwest. Now, again, Trump has more than 50% in these numbers. But the state-level polling. In Iowa, Trump is averaging 50% as of right now. But that's with a big outlier poll from Emerson, which had him at like 60-something percent. The other polls that we have from Iowa, particularly two that were released in July, the average is more in the lines of the low to mid-40s. In New Hampshire, Trump is averaging 41%. Tim Scott and Chris Christie have surged a bit there. In Nevada, Trump is averaging in the low 50s based on the very little polling we have out of that state. In South Carolina, Trump is also averaging in the low 40s, with Nikki Haley at 13% and Tim Scott at 9%. Now, I say all of that because of what else we've learned over the weekend. Donald Trump has massive legal bills. I told you he was going to have massive legal bills, and that was going to be a huge chunk of his money. 
But right now, Save America, the PAC that's financing Trump's bid, has spent over $40 million on legal fees in the first half of this year. And that's with still a few investigations that have not resulted in indictments yet. You have the indictment by the special counsel in Florida on 37 criminal counts related to uh, retaining classified documents, an indictment by the Manhattan District Attorney on 34 criminal counts related to alleged hush money. He's re- Trump has received a target letter from the special counsel concerning his actions on January 6th. He's facing civil action in New York, alleging that he defrauded investors, and he's facing a potential indictment as early as this week from Fulton County, Georgia, on charges arising from his alleged attempt to convince Georgia officials to change the 2020 vote total to favor him. This is important. $40 million already spent on legal fees and legal issues. That's $40 million that Trump can't use... For campaigning. Compare that with, let me see if, yes, this number. Trump's PAC spent $40.2 million on legal fees. The DeSantis PAC used 85% of their $33.8 million of spending for direct voter contact. That makes the difference in the long run. In the short run, the numbers favor Trump. But this is a long game. Trump is the favorite. He's going to remain the favorite for a long time. We're still months away from the first vote being cast. We've got a debate coming up. Trump is allegedly not going to be at that. Instead, he's going to be doing something separate with Tucker Carlson. But the more money Trump has to spend on legal fees, that's less money that he can spend traveling, holding rallies and events, direct voter contact, All of those things that make those early states so active in the political process. The people of Iowa love it when a presidential candidate shows up at their favorite restaurant and starts glad handing, shaking hands, talking with people one on one in small groups. They love that. They eat it up and it spreads word of mouth and it gets that that candidate support. It increases their numbers. If Trump is having to go to court, if Trump is having to spend a lot of money on legal fees, remember a couple weeks back, one member of his own campaign said, yeah, these rallies cost like half a mil to set up. That's money he can't spend on those expensive rallies. That's money he can't spend traveling to these different places. That's money he can't spend on advertising. That does add up. And if his numbers are in the low 40s right now in some of these early states, there's a potential there for the numbers on his opponents to start increasing. So clearly, Trump is still ahead. Trump is going to be ahead. For the short and mid-range future, Trump is ahead. That benefits Trump because the longer he remains ahead, the longer that solidifies his base. 
So that does benefit Trump. All of the data, however, from the New York Times poll, from the legal stuff, all of those data points come together, though, and they incentivize candidates to stay in the race longer because they feel there is going to be a certain bleeding effect for Trump. The campaigns are banking on it. They're banking on the constant legal drama to bleed support away. They are banking on the fact that Trump has to spend all of this money elsewhere so that it hurts his numbers. All of these campaigns are banking on that, so they're going to be in for the long haul. That benefits them, but it's also a double-edged sword. If these people don't drop out, if they don't drop out of the race because they think all they have to do is outlast Trump, that keeps resources from consolidating. Trump still benefits from that. But if some of the candidates do start dropping out and those resources consolidate, that changes the game a bit. Remember, we're still, we're just midway through 2023. First votes haven't been cast yet. There's still a lot of things that could change. But as of right now, with the lay of the land, no one's inevitable. 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation. Let's go ahead and take this break. If you want to call in or send a message, be glad to take those messages and those calls when we get back here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. You know, in case you miss any show, you can always go back and listen. They aren't lost forever once you listen to them. But I do have a request. If you guys listen to The Joe Cunningham Show and you like what you're listening to, go to your podcast app, wherever you're listening to this from, and give the podcast a rating and a review. That helps get the podcast out in front of more eyes so that we can help the show grow. Thanks again for listening to The Joe Cunningham Show right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation. Uh, had a great question uh, during the uh, break on the, on the KPL app. By the way, if you have the KPL app, you can chat with me during the show. Uh, I usually try to respond to those off air uh, during the breaks and then on air uh, when we get back on. But this one was a good question. Is there a chance if Trump wins the presidency, he could still wind up going to jail or be impeached? On the impeached question, I doubt it. Uh, Unless there is just a major midterm election against Trump in that second term. Uh, Because if he wins the presidency in 2024, chances are he at least has the House, if not the House and the Senate. It would need to be a fairly significant wave for the Republicans to bring Trump and a wider majority in the House, and switching the majority in the Senate. But it could happen, and there's plenty of data to suggest it might happen. The biggest question there would be Trump himself. If it's Trump versus Biden, the the polling numbers are fairly split on that as to which way that general election would go. Could he wind up going to jail? I don't know about that. I would assume that things would get... If the trials are ongoing while he's president, I don't know how that gets handled. I really don't. Um, If the investigations are still going, the investigations get paused, they just get deferred for a little while, and then they get picked back up in the next administration, particularly if it's a Democratic administration. But at the same time, if Trump weren't running right now, I'm also not convinced that these investigations would still be happening. 
Trump by making by by staying involved in all this and vowing to run again and and actually running again. Trump has ensured that the Democrats are going to continue targeting him. Democrats really feel that Trump is inevitable. But what's what's interesting is that Kamala Harris goes out and picks a fight with Ron DeSantis. Democrats and pundits are talking a lot about Ron DeSantis. They want to see Donald Trump punished, but they're really afraid of Ron DeSantis. And you you know why. They, they feel that Ron DeSantis is more dangerous and more evil than Trump because they say he's more competent than Trump. Now, along with all this comes this story. This is from townhall.com. Former President Trump vowed to support primary challenges against House GOP lawmakers who refused to impeach President Biden. During a, cam- a campaign rally in Erie, Pennsylvania on Saturday, the Republican presidential candidate expressed his frustration with House Republicans who, quote, don't do anything about the corrupt allegations against Biden. Quote, the biggest complaint I get is that Republicans find out this information and they do nothing about it. They don't do anything about it, he said. Trump criticized Republicans for not having a fighting spirit, even with all the Democrats have done to him. They're good people, but they don't fight the way they're supposed to fight. The others are dirty, sick players, and the Republicans are very high class. They've got to be a little bit lower class, Trump said. Trump then threatened Republicans who refused to act on Democrat fraud, arguing they, quote, should be immediately primaried and get out. I'm going to be real honest with you. That's not very helpful. The Republican Party is fighting for its relevancy here. They're fighting to try to get a candidate that can win in 2024. They are trying to win back a majority in the Senate. They are trying to increase their majority in the House. And when the leading man in your presidential primary is threatening to primary, to to support primaries against members of the current House majority, that's divisive and not helpful. And that's going to irritate a lot of Republicans. Now, in the grand scheme of things, is this going to affect how Republican voters vote? Probably not. But if Trump is really worried about the establishment, about all the people that he says are against him and everything like that, going out and publicly making enemies during a heated primary season is probably not the way you actually want to go. But that is who Donald Trump is. That's how he's always going to be. And that's why he's got such a loyal, devoted fan base. He doesn't care about the niceties of it. His voters don't really care about the niceties of it. They want a fighter, and that's what's made him stay popular in Republican circles. But I'm not sure that threatening to primary members of the party whose nomination you're running for is the wisest move. All right, guys, that's it for me. I'm going to take a 23-hour break. I will be back tomorrow here on the Joe Cunningham Show. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, and email joe at redstate.com. You can find the podcast version of this show coming up shortly on joecunninghamshow.substack.com. Catch that in any previous episodes you missed. Shannon is off sides next here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL.